Hello, and welcome to the cunning, baffling, and powerful workshop. My name is Kate. I'm a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this meeting. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Before we get started, we ask that all cell phones or other electronic equipment be turned off. Even if you think it's off, please make sure. This session is being recorded. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. Please remember, OA members affiliated with related facilities or other 12-step programs are requested to speak on their recovery in the OA program only. An Ask It basket will be circulated by Sonia for the question and answer portion of this session. If there is any press in this room, please respect our anonymity by not taking any pictures, using a video camera, or using our full names. The format for this session is as follows. Two speakers will share for 20 minutes each, followed by questions and answers. The Ask It basket will be passed around. Please place your questions in the basket for our panelists. The topic for this session is cunning, baffling, and powerful. Our first speaker is Mary Lou, and our second speaker is Jill. Let's welcome Mary Lou. Hi, everyone. My name is Mary Lou. I am a compulsive overeater. And thank you for attending the workshop. Um, Cunning, baffling, powerful. Yes, this is a very good topic. I can definitely relate to this topic. Um, I my statistics or my sort of history is I came into Overeaters Anonymous in 1983, and for two and a half years, I fought with every ounce I had to not give up the food and to be abstinent at the same time. So in other words, I struggled for two and a half years. I could not put the food down. Why? Exactly. This disease is cunning, baffling, powerful. Cunning, cunning. Cunning. I cannot not not stress that word of what that disease, the lies that that disease will tell me, the cunning part of the disease that tells me, and one of the biggest lies that the disease told me and I believed was that I would die if I did not get the food in my mouth when I needed the food in my mouth. When I needed to pick up food, to shove down whatever feeling I was feeling, to get through any hour, any minute of any day, I believed the lie that said, if you don't pick me up and put me in your mouth, you're going to die. And I was so afraid that I could not survive sometimes an hour without putting that food in my mouth. I don't. I didn't know what was wrong with me. I, I did before I came into this program. I just did not know. I just thought I'm overweight. I'm an overweight kid. I'm always looking for food. I'm always looking for when are we going to have the meal? Where are we going to get it? You know, what are the snacks? What are the this? What are the that? 
And I didn't know. I, I didn't know I had a disease. And I got to be like a teenager. And I remember just, you know, having my own money from like part-time jobs or whatever. And the first thing I would do is go to the store and buy my, my binge foods, you know, boxes and bags, cartons or whatever. And I just thought it was the greatest thing on earth that I could have my own. It wasn't having to do with my brothers and sisters. It wasn't having to do with my family. It was my own stash. And, you know, I, you know, I just didn't get it. I, I just thought, I don't know what I, I, I just was, I just knew I needed it. All I knew was I needed it. And for some reason I would hook up with kids like after school that did the same thing or whatever. And it was like, I had my eating buddies, you know, and I had my own money and I could buy what I wanted. And, but, you know, it started off as just like this sort of, like they say, kind of like this hobby, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like, I cannot stop. So, I mean, just the cunning, baffling, powerful part, what I meant was just the, the cunning, the lies, the lies. There was just the reading in the four today, just the other day. I just wanted to read that one because this is one of the lies. Okay. Uh, cursed, cursed be the social lies that warp us from the living truth. Okay, Tennyson. Come now, one bite can't hurt you. It can if you're a compulsive overeater. If I believe the well-meaning people who understand nothing of my affliction, I may be a lonely audience of one to the outcome. If I can learn so many things through practice, I can learn to say no. Until then, I may have to give up old friends, old places, old activities. It is called going to any lengths. And that was, that was another thing. In those couple years when I was trying to be abstinent, I, I first came to Overeaters Anonymous. And what I heard, you know, I just didn't know how to deal with food. I was either on a diet, starving myself, or on some kind of diet since high school, since I was like 14, some kind of something trying to control the weight and to control the food. And when I came to Overeaters Anonymous, what I heard was um, how to put boundaries around my food. For me, it was three meals a day, nothing in between, no sugar, no white flour. That's what I heard in 1983, and that's what I stuck with. What The thing that bothered me the most in this first couple years when I couldn't stay abstinent, I'd be absent for four or five days, maybe a week, maybe two weeks, but I always went back to the food, was I couldn't say no. I would get in these situations at some social situation. Somebody would put something in front of me, and I couldn't say no. I couldn't say no thank you. No, I was just so, I mean, I was just such a fearful person. You know, first of all, probably I didn't really want to say no. But then even if there was a part of me that did want to say no, it was like I didn't have the courage to say no. And it said, you know, sometimes you have to give up old friends, old places, old activities. And I had to give that up. I had to you know, let go of those places that were like walking on the train tracks. You know, if you want to get hit by the train, you know, stay on the tracks. If you want to not get hit by the train, get off the tracks. And that's what they told me, and that's what I had to do, change different things. I said, for today, I'm always aware of who I am and what my limitations are. And, you know, that I have a disease called compulsive overeating. I react differently than other people to food. I just can't, you know, I have to admit that to myself. As much as I think food, what, you know, come on, food, everybody overeats a little bit, everybody celebrates, everybody, you know, 
splurges with food, but no, that's not what I do. What I do is I eat myself to death spiritually, emotionally, physically, you know, because I don't know how to stop. Cunning was the lies, you know, um, I can let's see. I can turn down food and drink that may be dangerous for me as easily as I can get out of the way of a speeding car. Well, it didn't come that easy, you know. The cunning, like this, the cunning part of the disease is all those lies that it told me. Like I said, the main lie was that you're going to die. You know, these feelings are going to kill you. You're going to die. You must eat. And my sponsor, when I finally came into the program and you know got this sponsor, she said, "Die, but don't eat." You know, and I mean, I literally took her at her word because that's exactly it. Did I ever, I'm still standing here. This is what, 27, 28 years later, I am here, you know, absent by the grace of God since January 2nd, 1986, and saying, I have not died. I have had feelings. I have thought I was going to die, but I didn't listen to the disease. Why? Okay, well, I've got to get to that later. Cunning, baffling baffling was, why did I keep picking it up every time I, you know, listened to the lie, the cunning lies that it told me I'm going to die. Um, I listened to that. I would eat, you know, the same result, you know, the same result, just like it says in the doctor's opinion, which I, I like that part too. And I, um, read a little bit from the doctor's opinion. Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by food, alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot after a time differentiate the true from the false. That's the cunning. You know, this disease, I don't know what is true and what is false. True, I think it's, the truth I think is I am going to die if I don't eat. You know, that's a lie. But I, when I'm in the food, I, I can't get to that. I'm, I totally can't differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. Exactly. I thought, you know, I'm either just going to be struggling with my weight, struggling with food the rest of my life, so then half the time I'd say, well, well, then, you know, F it, you know. I might as well eat, you know. Okay, they are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience a sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks, bites, drinks which they see others taking with impunity. After they have succumbed to the desire again, as so many do, and the phenomenon of craving develops, they pass through a well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. Baffling. You know, I'd be like, there I am again, sick as a dog, laying on the bed saying, why did I do this again? Why did I binge again? Why did I buy this stuff again? You know, baffled. What am I doing? Why, why, why? I'd be saying to myself, um... You know, and then I'd get remorseful. Never, I'm never going to do it again. And that, you know, next day, get up, do it again. This is repeated over and over unless the person can experience an entire psychic change. There's very little hope of his recovery. It's, when I heard that topic, counting baffling powerful, this is what I thought of. That what I read in the doctor's opinion when I first got this book, I don't even know who gave me the book in the beginning, but when I read the doctor's opinion, and I, that I, this is me, this is me, insane with food, doing this same cycle over and over, listening to the lies, the cunning disease, being baffled of why I'm doing it again. And the powerful can't stop. Once I started, I could not stop. Once I got that addictive substance inside me, like it talks about in the doctor's opinion, it's the allergy. I set up this craving 
It's different for a normal eater, does not get that craving. Yes, they eat some of those foods I eat. Maybe sometimes they eat too much of it, but they don't have that craving that I cannot stop thinking about now this mental obsession of when can I get more? When can I get more? When can I get more? It just, it, it, the disease is so powerful. Um, cunning, baffling, powerful. What do we got? I can't see. I'm sorry. Oh, um, okay. So, so yeah, um, too much for me, you know, but when I came, so how did I, uh, so what happened? What happened? Um, cunning, baffling, powerful. That's in, uh, that's on page 58, right? Remember that we deal with food. I'm going to say food, alcohol, cunning, baffling, powerful without help. It is too much for us without help, without help. What about with help? With help, we can, we can overcome, <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, without help, it is too much for us. But there is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find God now. For me, when I came into the program, I didn't want to find God. I thought I knew all about God, and I thought God didn't care about me and my food. Um, what I found was the fellowship. I found people in the rooms that did the same thing that I did with food that said that they had abstained from the compulsive overeating for years. Hey, I thought anybody that had a week was some kind of saint walking around on, you know, how could they do that for a week? I couldn't do it sometime, you know, 24 hours. How could you not eat between breakfast and lunch? I didn't understand it. You know, and so they, they gave me a program to work, you know, the 12 steps. But they gave me the tools, you know. what The work that I had to do was use the tools. I had to pick up the tools. If I was going to face this thing that was so cunning, baffling, powerful, I could not do it by myself. I had to have every tool, you know, I had to get on the phone. I had to make phone calls. Sometimes I'd be on the phone from breakfast to lunch. I don't care, four hours, you know. I, I mean, I was pretty unemployable anyway. Um, mostly all I was doing was binging. Um, the only one that hired me was my dad. Uh, well, you know, I had I had other jobs, but I couldn't function. So then I worked for my dad for a few years, and in those beginning years when I was in OA, so a lot of times, I, Dad, I'll be back in an hour, you know, and I'd drive to the closest meeting I could go to during the day, you know and just make up the time later. But, you know, I had to pick up the tools. I had to go to a meeting almost every day. I had to call my sponsor. I had to, you know, make those phone calls. I had to read the literature. I had to get on my knees and ask for help. Every morning, get on my knees and ask God for help. And every night, get on my knees and thank God for the day that I didn't pick up, you know, the food. It wasn't easy. It was not easy letting go of the food. That's why I struggled for two and a half years, because I, I just could not... Admit, you know, I just did not want to smash that idea. Like it said, it was still in the back of my mind. Well, you know, maybe if I just, you know, lose the weight, I can, you know, eat these foods again. And and that's just not the case for me. I'm an addict. Um, I it, I just cannot have these foods in any form in my body um, because it just sets up this craving that just never goes away. So the power had to come from, you know. For, for me, it started with, you know, going to the meetings and being involved in the fellowship and seeing other people that, that weren't doing what I was doing anymore. They weren't doing it anymore. That was a miracle 
for me to see. So the fellowship and then them getting me to work the steps and stay in this program. And, and the main thing is just keep seeking. You know, I just, I guess that word sticks out to me, like, you know, to find this power. The one, that one is God, may you find him now. Well, I never did find him like that. I'm still finding him. I'm still seeking that power because every single day I face this cunning, baffling, powerful disease that tells me all these lies, that tells me I can't say no when someone puts something in front of me, that tells me I'm going to die if I'm having a feeling, if I can't put food in my body to stuff it down. It's telling me, you know, I can't... uh, be a normal uh, person out in society because I'm too full of fear. It's just telling me all these lies that lead me to just say, you know, I'd just rather close the doors, close the blinds, close the shades, take a bag and a box and a half a gallon, and I'm fine. You know, I'm fine. Leave me alone. And it won't leave me alone. That disease is out to kill me, and it will kill me, and I certainly know there is a solution that I... You know, just to keep seeking what, in whatever way I can to find a higher power, some kind of power that's greater than that disease. And, I mean, I am, I'm living proof. There is a power. There, there's, there's a power. Because I am a compulsive overeater. All I would rather do is be, I'm not standing up here, you know. I, I, you know, I'm visiting the area. I'd rather be back at the old, all the old haunts. All the old places of you know where I want to be with food, and that's just not gonna. That's just not an option today. You know, it's not an option. Um, I have to be here, and I have to say there is a way out. There is a way out of our disease. It's just that um, first, I, I cannot listen to those lies, and and I don't have the power not to listen to those lies. I have to, you know, find that power. Um, I don't know. I'm, I guess. What I was thinking is when, when I was first trying to get abstinent too, I just remember uh, my prayer and meditation was, you know, getting on my knees in the morning and saying help and getting on my knees at night and saying thank you for this day. No matter how bad the day was, if I was abstinent, it was a great day. You know, and sometimes I was on my knees saying, yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for this day. But you know what? I, I hadn't eaten that day, and it was a miracle. And I used to sit in this chair every morning, and I'd write, God, you know, please help me to be willing, 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 to do what I need to do today, today, to be abstinent. I didn't know if that meant being on the phone for four hours. I didn't know, you know, not going to certain places. I I remember, you know, my parents were going to have this big anniversary party, and all of a sudden I just knew I couldn't go. I could not go to this restaurant. I knew what they were serving. I knew what the whole thing was about. I knew, I said I could not go. And, you know, certain things like that I had to do. And, yeah, I was on the phone <laughs> while they all went to the party. I was on the phone with all my OA friends, you know, for a couple hours to just to say, I'm not going to die. I'm having a lot of feelings right now, but I'm not going to die, and food is not going to help. And, you know, things like that. It wasn't easy. It, that disease is out to kill us. and But it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. That's the main thing. So keep coming back, no matter what. That's what I heard. Keep coming back, no matter what. Keep coming back, no matter what. And and there and um, I hope that's my time. But no, I, I know you know over the years, um, somebody said to me, you know, and I wrote it down in my notebook. You know, uh, there's never any reason to panic. 
There's never any reason to panic. And that's when I ate, you know, when I had that panicky feeling that like, like, I don't know what, I don't know what, but I hope somebody else understands what it is. But it's this anxiety that comes over me like I have to eat, like there's no option and there is an option. And um, even if I just get down on my knees in the bathroom stall and say, help, there's an option. There is help. There is a power that we can find and I hope you find that each and every day for for the remainder that you're in our program and keep coming back. Thank you, Mary Lou. After our second speaker, we'll take questions from the Ask It Basket. Let's welcome our second speaker, Jill. I am Jill, a recovering compulsive overeater. Hi, And um, I'm nervous, just so you know. You can't hear me. I'm kind of nervous. I don't like to speak. That's why when they asked me, I said, sure, I'll speak at the very first one so I can enjoy the rest of the convention and not obsess about it all weekend. So anyway, so here I am. Um, let me just give you a little bit of history about me. I have um, been in Overeaters Anonymous since I was 16 years old. Um, and, uh, I, um, uh, started out in, um, up in Seattle for about a year. And then, um, I'm from San Francisco. I was living up in Seattle just for about a year. Then I moved back to San Francisco. So I've been, um, in, in OA in the San Francisco area since 1977. And, um, I haven't gone continuously that whole time. I've, um, uh, had some breaks, but, um, but I'm here today, and I'm abstinent today, and um, I am maintaining a 67-pound weight loss by the grace of God for about five years. So, um, so when I started in OA, the way that we the way that we used to do the meetings a long time ago, we used to only have AA literature. So we um, so this is ingrained in my mind. I could probably write, recite it to you by heart, but um, they used to say. Um, uh, in all the, you know, in, when we did all the reading, it said, remember that we deal with food, cunning, baffling, and powerful. Without help, it is too much for us. But there is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him now. Half measures availed us nothing. We stood at the turning point. We asked his protection and care with complete abandon. Here are the steps we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery. You must all know these 12 steps, but First one is, one, we'd admitted we are powerless over food and our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our life over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us, and the power to carry that out. 
12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Many of us exclaimed, what an order, I can't go through with it. Do not be discouraged. No one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. We are not saints. The point is that we are willing to grow along spiritual lines. The principles we have set down are guides to progress. We claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. And that is what my program is made of, (laughs) the 12 steps and spiritual progress. Um, It's... It's a work. It's a work, working program. You don't just go through the 12 steps and you're done. I've read, read that so many times in my life, that it, which is so important because this disease is so cunning, baffling, and powerful. And um, um, the other thing that really comes to mind for me is that, for me, I always need to stay mindful of the nature of this disease. I forget so quickly I need to stay mindful of the nature of this disease. And the nature is that it's cunning, baffling, and powerful. And, and it's too much for me to do on my own. I need help, and that's OA that um, helps me with it. There's other things that have helped too, but I have to start here. Um, so some of the ways that I stay mindful of the nature of this disease is by working the 12 steps, Okay. And the other is meetings. Meetings are so important for me to go to. Service, phone calls, they all keep me in touch with other members in OA who share this disease with me, who share their story with me, who share their relapses with me, who share their successes. And that, in turn, reminds me, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right, that's me, you know. And and they did something that helped them and maybe I can try that and it will help me to, to continue on my path of recovery. Um, let's see. Um, I, I just, like I said, I've been in the program for a long time. I've had three relapses in this program. I've, I've lost, um, you know, the amount of weight I needed to lose and, um, and then relapse after being absent for four to five years. Um, and, um, hopefully that's not everyone's path, but it just happens to be mine. Um, and usually, um, it's, it's the disease creeps back. It, it, it get, it, it comes in and it seeps into your life and you don't even realize it, you know? And, and what I've seen through, through all this is, is that I slowly stop doing the things that keep me mindful of the nature of this disease. I slowly stop doing the reading. It's not like I just get up in the morning and say, okay, I'm not going to work this program anymore. I have, I have never, ever done that. But, you know, all of a sudden I don't have time to do my reading. Or all of a sudden I don't have time to make a phone call. Um, or, uh, you know, I put other things first. And um, um, and then the disease sees the, the link that it's weakened. And um, and and those thoughts come in. Like um, a couple couple months ago, I, can, I cannot believe that. This little thought has went through my mind. And it, and it, it said, oh, you fatso. It called myself a fat, no, it called myself a fat pig. I said, oh my God, where did that come from? I haven't said that to myself in so long. And I just know that that is my disease talking, you know, but I could say, oh, I don't, oh, okay. Yeah, that is a word, but I am not a fat pig. And that is my disease talking. And I'm just going to let that go. So those are the kinds of things that I've had to do. I've, um, I, um, let's see what else I wrote some notes. I get, oh, 
I get lost in my mind. <laughs> so bad. So when I'm left to myself, I get lost in my mind. And the, the fat pig is there, and you idiot, and you're such a weak-willed, and blah, blah, blah. The tapes just go and go. So um, the negative thinking, the self-loathing, the obsessive food thoughts, this all keeps me in the disease. And um, so... I have to be reminded again of the nature of the disease. And, and really for me, the only way I can do that is by going to meetings and sharing with other compulsive overeaters and listening to them and going the little extra, giving the service. I have this little meeting that we go to on Mondays. I don't like going that much, but it's a convenient meeting. <laughs> it's a bunch of old ladies older than me, you know. <laughs> I want something, something different. <laughs> but... The last three weeks, they've needed someone to bring literature, and I don't want to do it, but I do it anyway because it gets me there. It gets me out of myself, and you know, even though I don't, I don't think I like the meeting. I really do because those women know me, and they'll listen to me, and they say, "How are you doing, Jill? What's been happening?" You know, they they truly are interested in what I'm doing and and my recovery. You know, and I'm interested in theirs because we're helping one another to walk this path. Um, let me see what else. Oh, um, another thing, another little tool that I learned in this program is how powerful this disease is. And I have no power over it at all. I have tried to fight, fight it. So goes my three relapses, trying to do it on my own and fight this disease. And that mental obsession I have learned, I have no power over it. The minute I debate fighting that mental obsession, I have lost. So, um, so it is really powerful, but I know I have a connection with a higher power that has helped me through many times of wanting to overeat, um, and it's past. It's past. So whenever I get a food thought, one of the things I do is like, oh, my gosh, I'm powerless over that. I might make a phone call right away and say, hey, you know what? I really am hungry. I'm really obsessing about food, you know, um, and I'm really powerless over that. The minute I try and fight that feeling, that thought, I'll lose, and I'll eat. So um, through the years, I've learned that, that I just have to physically relax my body and let go of that fight. I have to make a phone call. I have to piece up. I have to do something that reminds me of the nature of this disease, you know, and where and where it will take me. Um, let's see. That's all I wrote down. Okay, and then so some other things that I want to um, share about. Um, was um, it's really strange. Like um, the job I have now, I've been there for three and a half years. So nobody knows me there as being overweight. It's very, very, very strange. Thank you. It's very, and so I do all these weird things for food to them, you know, like I measure out things and I'm not obsessive about it, but just certain things. I know I can't, I can't just take a handful or something. I have to measure them because my mind will just continue to go, go, go. Um, and, and it's just really, it's funny to be at a place where no one has seen me overweight or seen me, um, obese. And, um, and they, and they view me so differently than I view myself. They view me as this really healthy woman who exercises and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, oh, that's me that they're talking about, you know? And so that's kind of like a new freedom to not have those prejudice, um, fat, 
mindset, like people who see me that haven't, that, you know, they go, oh, you look so good. You look so good. And I thought to myself, even, even today I, I saw someone, I can't remember who it was. Oh, you look so great, Jill. It's like, okay, you know, thank you. Thank you. You know, I'm powerless over that too, because my head will do something with that. But, um, oh, I forget where I was going with this. Um, oh, because in their mind, they have me as an obese person. You know, so it's just it's just a it's just a new concept in my life to meet people for the first time and they don't they don't know my history of being obese or being fat. So to me, that's a new freedom that I've been given, and um, and I don't feel like people have been judgmental. I have been judgmental at my work, you know, in regards to my overeating. They do they do think I eat weird sometimes or I do weird things because for me it's not so much. I have certain disciplines that I've set up. You know, I don't eat before 12. I don't eat my lunch before 12. Can't you go 15 minutes early? No. <laughs> because part of my program is I, you know, I have these certain hold, hard, hold, certain things I just cannot do that make my program work for me. Um, and um, anyway, so it's kind of interesting. So, and also the other thing that, that the, they asked us to speak on was um, new happiness, a new, a new freedom and a new happiness. So um, this time when I came back into OA, I've been back in OA about five years. Um, but prior to coming back in, I was really unhappy. And um, I know I had to get back to OA. And um, I was um, I, I started to abstain. And it took me about, mm, about five or six months to start to come back to meetings. So um, I had already started to... And the only, really for this... This abstinence was that I, I asked God to help me not be so hard on myself. I'm going to take it slow, and I'm not going to be so hard on myself. I'm tired of beating myself up. I'm tired of, you know, saying those, those things. I mean, if I'm just going to be kind and gentle. I happen to be a nurse, and I'm very kind and gentle to all my patients. And I thought to myself, I'm going to really try and be kind and gentle to myself. And it's really helped me with this phase of my life and this phase of my recovery. And it took me about five or six months to start coming back to meetings just because I, I just was taking it slow. <laughs> but, um, um, so I started back to meetings and, um, you know, some time went by and I'd lost some weight and, um, I forget what I was doing, I, nothing in particular. And um, I, I was walking down the street with one of my daughters, you know, and she said, oh, you know, well, what, you know what, what's funny, Mom? Why are you smiling? I said, you know, I feel joy today. And I was like, wow, I have not felt that in so long. I just am happy and I feel joy, and it's not any particular reason. Just because we're taking a walk together or whatever, it, it's nothing in particular. But... And that is such a gift from my higher power. I, you know, I don't feel it every day, um, but I really, I got these 12 steps that help me deal with life, um, that help me deal with stress. Uh, uh, you know, my, my kids are almost all grown now. I, I was sharing with Mary Lou, we, we've known each other for a long time. And, uh, and when I got married, I had like five or six people from OA there, and they're still in these rooms. I mean, you know, they've, they've and I, I I used to work for Safeway, and I'd wear my little pink smock to the meetings. They say, "Oh, Jill, I remember when you used to come to the meetings, little pink, pink smock." Yeah. So it's just been it's it's just wonderful to see to see some of the old timers, and um, 
and to ha- and we both have a smile on our face, and I know that we're f- experiencing joy in our lives. Like I said, not on an everyday basis, but I hope to. That's my yet. I hope to experience that joy on an everyday basis. And um, uh, and I would say that I'm pretty happy. So um, I am so grateful to Overeaters Anonymous, and I am that I and grateful that I kept coming back. You hear that over and over and over, and it's true. Some of these sayings sound so cliche, but they're really at the heart of my program. My one day at a time is so important. My mind could get so into what I ate yesterday and how imperfect it was and how how I'm going to do this tomorrow or do that. And that concept is so ingrained in me one day at a time, Jill. What can you do now? You didn't like your breakfast. You thought it was sloppy. Okay, that is gone. What can you do right now to work your program? What can you do right now to work your 12 steps? And sometimes that's how it is. It's minute to minute. What do I need to do right now? Um, And, you know, I get out my tools and I read a little something or I make a phone call. I'm not too into the emailing and texting because I'm old and we always made phone calls. <laughs> I like to actually talk to someone. And I have to say, at least 80% of the time, I don't get anyone. <laughs> so I leave these long messages. I'll say, this is Jill. I'm leaving you a long message. This is an outreach call. I'm leaving you a long message. You don't have to listen to it. But just me taking the minute to ta- to leave it is what I need to do. So, And you'd be surprised that people do call me back, not right away, but like maybe a day or two later, and it's right when I need the phone call. So those phone calls do help, even though you don't talk to the people. They really help me. <laughs> so... I've texted a few times. I'm not a big texter. So um, let me think what else. Uh, anyway, so I, I wanted to say, you know, thank God that I kept coming back. And I have started to experience some of the promises that are in the big book. And also, um, I just wanted to let you all know that it's really an honor for me to be able to come up here and share with you. I really am so grateful that you that you're here that you're here to listen, that you're here to be help this program along because I really need it. I was I have um a bunch of sisters and we um um we were doing something and uh oh two two I have two of my patients, two patients that are like in their eighties and they were going off to do something, the two sisters. And I was thinking, oh I hope I I wonder if me and my sister will be going to OA when we're eighty years old. <laughs> and this little thought just said, Yes, you will <laughs> You'll, you'll be going when you're 80 years old. So, you know, like I said, it's a work in progress. It's, I'm, it's never complete. It's never perfect. And I just ask, I ask for my heart to be open, for the willingness to be there, and for me to take the next step that's in front of me. So um, I think that's all I have to say. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jill. I'm going to ask Jill and Mary Lou to come up here so they're near the microphone while we do Ask It Basket. Could you both come up, please? And while you're coming up, thank you so much. I'd like to start you off. Would you each be willing to talk for a minute or two about how sponsorship has helped you with this cunning, baffling, and powerful disease? Okay, uh, yeah, sponsorship. Without a sponsor, I would not be in this program. Um, I've had several sponsors since I came in in 1983, and the times that were this, the toughest for me to be in the program and work the program was when I didn't have a sponsor. So, yeah, I've always had a sponsor. I totally rely on them, and I totally suggest them. 
Um, same with me. I've had numerous sponsors through the year. Mary Lou was once when, when she was here also, um, my sponsor. And then um, uh, it helps the most, you know, that you have someone that you have a daily contact with, that you're in touch with, that knows you. Um, it's not always so easy to find a sponsor, though, I have to admit. I don't have one right this minute. <laughs> um, I, um, I am in the process of trying to find a new sponsor. You know, after all these years, you think I still need a sponsor? Yep, I still need a sponsor. You know, I've worked the 12 steps. I've written three or four inventories, and you know, but I still need a sponsor. I still need to have a, a daily connection with someone in the program to uh, help me along the way. And that's really, that's all it is. It's just people helping people recover from the disease of compulsive overeating. It's putting yourself out a little bit to be of service and to care about humanity. So, Thank you. We had a lot of questions. Thank you so much. Here's the first one for both of you, please. Would you describe your higher power and how when you are desperate, what do you do? Um, okay, so my higher power, remember, this is just for me, okay? I happen to be a Christian. My higher power is God in Christ. And um, my OA program is has come first, and it's enhanced my religion. It starts with OA for me. I've learned so many lessons from the food, but it starts with OA, and it allows me to be open and to be closer to God. So... I also feel more familiar by calling my higher power God, and I feel like it's like a very good friend, and that took over 25 years to get to that place. And um, when I'm desperate, it's just help, and where the heck are you, and why aren't you here when I'm desperate? And I can talk to my higher power like um, my very good friend that um, has the power that I don't have. This question is a two-parter. When did you realize you had the disease, and how long did it take you to work the steps? Okay, let's see. Um, I don't know when I realized I had this disease until I think it was right before I came into the program, and I decided to tell a good friend of mine um, in a church group I was in because that was one of the things I did looking for a higher power. I was in every church there ever was, I think, and baptized in all of them, too, because I thought the, if they baptized me, I wouldn't eat anymore. And I thought that I needed that conversion. And, uh, you know, many times I went to those places where they dunked you in the wells and stuff. And I mean, I was raised Catholic, so we weren't really doing those kinds of things. But um, I had asked this person, you know, I just I, I finally was honest with somebody about how much I ate. And she said, oh, yeah, sometimes I do that. And I looked at her, and then she said, you know, there's a group on Wednesday night called Overeaters Anonymous, that kind of thing. So I didn't know about the disease till I got to the meeting and found out that I had this disease called compulsive overeating. I thought it was another diet group, you know. But um, And what was the second part about oh, taking me to work this step? Well, that's uh, my life. I mean, I'm always working the steps. I didn't, yeah, it, it, you know, I'm. I'm sure when I first came in, I had sponsors that told me after a few months, come on, you got to write a fourth step. I remember doing it because she told me I got to write a fourth step or else I'm going to go back to eating. And I was about four months abstinent and, you know, going through that. But I mean, over and over, it's, it's you know, living in 10, 11, and 12, doing four steps when I need to, you know, 
the steps are just, I don't know, like doing the steps. You, you live the steps, you know, you know, make amends. You know, all this stuff is just how you live after a while. Okay. Okay. What's the question again? Okay. When did you realize you had the disease, and how long did it did you take to work? Okay. So I realized that I didn't realize that I had the disease, but I realized that I had a problem with um, overeating when I was 16. I um, was babysitting, and I've told this story many times. And um, for my next door neighbor, and she, her husband was a compulsive overeater. He was a very obese man, and she had baked something that was sitting on the counter and had foil over it. And as the night went on, I kept taking a sliver and a sliver. And by the end of the night, I had eaten the whole cake. I was appalled, and I pushed it all up and put the foil there and just left it and pretended like she would think he ate it. And I was sick to my stomach. I could not stop eating. I was taking, this is all in the same night. I was eating stuff out of the freezer. And I came home. It was 2 o'clock in the morning after babysitting, and my mom was up. Um, mopping the kitchen floor <laughs> at 2 in the morning. And I said, Mom, something is the matter with me. I cannot stop eating. So that was when I first realized that there was something, I had an inkling there was something the matter, something beyond my control, you know. And then uh, and then I got into OA, and I really learned about the disease of compulsive overeating. So, And then, oh, how long did it take me to work the steps? You know, it's varied. It varies. Just as Mary Lou said, it's something that you do every day. It's a live, It's a work in progress. It, you you live them. But, you know, um, the first step was very easy for me. You know, I could see that I was um, out of control. And um, so, um, and some days I'm back at step one all the time. You know, I, I repeat it to myself all the time. So, um but the, the key to working the steps is getting a sponsor that will help you. For me, I'm the type that likes to kind of like formally, you know, do a little something or whatever, you know, have a discussion about it so I can feel like I can press, go on to the next one. So, um, um, but uh, I, I have found the most important thing is just do it. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be the right notebook. It doesn't have to be the right pen. It doesn't have, just do it. If, it don't, if, you do the, if you do your whole fourth step in eight hours, then that's it. That's good for this time. Just don't put it off. Just make a start. A start, a willingness is all that is needed. So. It's now time to close the session. Let's thank our speakers, Mary Lou and Jill, and all who have done service for this session. Please stand and join hands as we close with a serenity prayer.